Nose is the best way to become a child again. Hello, everyone. In this episode of the Strelka Institute podcast, we introduce Cecil Tolas and her lecture about urban smell as information about the city. Concerning the routines of the, a new routine or new urban routine, or I'm not quite sure how I will put it, but I guess in all those issues, all those topics, we need a body to perform the routine or to perform the rituals or whatever. A city without people is not really a city. We have an amazing body. I call it the hardware. We have amazing software. I call it the senses. Unfortunately, we more or less rely on one sense, which is looking. Everything is about the look of. It look, she look, he look, etc., etc. The other senses are pretty much left alone, especially this is the case with the nose, the most sophisticated tool we have on the body. My background is chemistry, a PhD in chemistry from Oxford, and in addition to that, I studied seven languages, linguistic and art. My background is Norway, Iceland. I'm based in Berlin, a research laboratorium on smell and communication since the beginning of the 90s. I will take you in a small journey through the world of smell. I decided to work in the creative world, not a science world 100%, since in the creative world, doesn't matter what you study as long as you deliver. So somehow I became a catalysator between the corporate world and the science world. The big company that supports me is one of the biggest providers of smell and taste molecules in the world. And they decided to have me out there doing a different type of job. What those companies normally do is covering up perfuming, the sanitizing, and deodorizing reality. As for what I try to do is to show the same reality before they come and literally do their job. So I see smell a pure, invisible information about the situation you are in, the world you live in. We breathe up to 24,000 times a day. Every moment we are breathing, we inhale smell molecules from the surrounding we are and are in at that very moment. Even when we sleep, we smell. If your house is about to burn down, you don't wake up because of the heat, you wake up because of the smell. We move 12,7 cubic meter air every day with our system. All this smell enter our brain in two synapses, it goes immediately down to the emotion and to the subconsciousness. In humans, this happens subconsciously. In animals, it happens consciously. So what could change if one try to make smell and relate to smell and breathe consciously is what I try to do. I see smell as pure information, not as a manipulation of. Since the beginning of the 90s, I went out in the world putting my nose first. How would it be to be a dog for a couple of years? So I put my nose into all aspects of life, micro and micro level. And I had no access to any kind of technology at that stage. I was curious, can I collect a smell, like I would collect an image or a sound? Can I build up a smell archive? Can I write a diary through smells? So this is what I did. I built up an archive consisting of 7,000 smells from reality. Every of these boxes have enough and sufficient information to let me track back to the moment in life where I found and decided to bring this smell with me. So this is my invisible 
Invisible Diary. Since 2004, this company decided to invest in me, and I have access to amazing tools normally used in the industry to replicate nature. So this is the device that collects molecules from plants and turn it into synthetic version. How do I work? Off I go, in the city, in the situation, re-approaching the situation from the perspective of my nose, reassuring that the smells are part of an identity of a site, and that the smells are there not only in the morning or in the evening or in Friday instead of Saturday, but all year around, as a kind of a DNA of a situation. Reassuring that the smells are there all the time, I decide to pick and to choose which smell I want to look into, to break up in individual molecules. So these are different cities I've been looking into. This is Dubai, Kuwait, Kansas City, Istanbul, Liverpool, Kansas again, South Africa, Cape Town, Mexico City. If I'm able to collect the smell source with me, I bring it to my lab. If I'm not able to collect the source with me. I go in with the device, a small device, a technology that enables me to collect the smell molecules of that specific situation. It's like making it an image of the invisible. So here, collecting molecules from different situations all over the world for different purposes. Phase three in the research is doing the analysis of the chart where the molecules are collected. So this is what I get. These are the peaks of the molecules I've just been scanning. And these are the identification of the same molecules. With this kind of information, I go to chemistry and I start to reproduce smells from realities, like building up smellscapes. I am not doing perfume, just to make that clear. There are enough people doing an excellent job in that field. I make smells. So here I'm composing and testing and fine-tuning and one smell can have up to 1,000 components. So what do I do with this project? I've done several cities. On these boxes, you have the number. I ask the people to comment on the smell and also propose or comment on where I found the smell, if the smell fits to that, that type of site or part of the city. All that comments and all those information I use in the next step of the research. This project is about diversity and, and segregation in the Midwest of the US. And these are the different devices, different tools that I give to people to get out in the city to look for smells. I made an app for smartphone and it's, it's a game. For those who have a smartphone, you can buy the app or download the app at the Apple Store. And otherwise, you could have an analog map. So all the area I investigated into over six years, finding permanent smells, got a map indicating where you potentially could find a smell in that specific neighborhood. Off people went to look for those smells. Whenever they found the smell, they downloaded it on the smartphone, I found it, and they contributed with language. So these people are running around in the cities visiting each other's neighborhoods. They never ever would have crossed the river ever before because of different issues, be it poor, be it rich, be it color, be it religion. So the headquarters showcased the research. I break down the smell of the city in individual smell molecules, making the invisible side of the city accessible through another perspective. Whenever somebody were out in the city finding smells, the nose in the middle, 
were clicking and the contribution of words were coming up to the right. So those ones who gained most smells and contributed with most words in the end got the prize. The prize was a golden nose and it was my nose. So the real time come across also in words and sound. This guy was singing every word that people out in the city were contributing in terms of comments to the smell of their neighborhoods. This is my first ever smellscape project, which I did two years in Berlin. And it was just on display at MoMA at the exhibition Talk to Me, uh, 2011. And it got destroyed at MoMA because MoMA don't let one smell in museums. And again, is the decontextualization of one important aspect, in this case of a city, that you wouldn't otherwise be interested in. And training people's awareness and curiosity about the city by doing this kind of work, people get curious and out they go to find these smells as a result of this kind of display. I made a film showing the noses smelling pollution. So it's like two 21 hours film that was shown back in Mexico City with, show, with, with Storefront Gallery a couple of years ago. Anyway, so these are different projects on the city. What do I do with this kind of research in the end of the day? Education is for me investment in the future. I work a lot with children. The issue with smell is the older you are, the more prejudices you carry with you. The earlier you can convince and influence humanity to take smell serious beyond the notion of a bad and a good smell, the better chances are that they will integrate smell in the way and the nose in the way of perceiving, understanding and navigating in a city and in their surrounding and towards other human beings. So this is the reality. This is my version of that reality. This kind of reality I give to children and children are playing with pollution. Normally, you will just ignore the image. Here, they take pollution serious. They come up with new solutions, a new approach, what to do with those kind of issues. We are tired of looking at melting ice poles at TV. When you smell that the ice bear is hungry, you probably will react according to your, what you understand. So city smellscape workshops is a very essential part of my work. Since four years, I do the World Science Festival in New York with NYU and Columbia University, setting up smell labs at Washington Square Garden, tracking smells in Chinatown and the surrounding, and letting kids smell their city. The astonishing part here is that these kids cannot get enough. The more rough and the more real the smells are, the more fun the kids have. And that is not only the case with the kids. This is also the same for Mercedes Benz. Mercedes CEOs. When I do workshop with managers, they become children. Nose is the best way to become a child again. So these kids are smelling pollution, garbage, you name it, I say it. Parents are far away because as soon as they come across, you get the notion of don't smell this, don't do this. So the kids are having a lot of fun using their alert senses and trying to understand the reality they are approaching with all their senses, the whole metabolism. Another group of work that I'm pretty famous for is uh, not only the micro world, but the macro world I've been doing for several years, commissioned by MIT in 2006. And I got access to a 21 man that suffer a serious from phobia towards other human beings. And this was during the Bush government and the whole notion around terrorism in the US. So I was curious, can I smell that somebody is afraid? So I started this project with support from a lot of scientists and psychiatrists, psychologists at Harvard and MIT, and I tracked body sweat 
at the moment of a fair attack. I turn it into a micro-encapsulated sweat we produced, and the technology is amazing. I have a patent on this technology. You literally touch the wall, and the wall is breathing, and you touch the wall, and it gives up a body sweat. So the wall became a metaphor of a skin. And this is the Beijing Olympics, which I did then together with Tsinghua University. Here you had 21 guys lined up. And the reaction all over the world has been amazing. In China, people couldn't get enough. In the US, people were throwing up. So again, showing that smell is very cultural, and people have a completely different reaction. But nevertheless, they have reaction in all cases. It's quick. Smell is very precise. So body smell workshop, always a part of my work is doing workshop. I develop a, a fabric together with NASA and I collect all the bacteria, all the smell on your body. And these students were asked to comment on each other's body smell. We uh, have a unique body smell, as unique as our fingerprint. We hardly have time to find out. Another situation uh, which I had a very interesting experience was at MoMA San Francisco, they made the first ever exhibition on when wine became modern. This is the bottle of wine I got to my disposal. I didn't get interest because it was vintage and very expensive. I got interest because it had amazing wine inside. So I set up drinking this wine for seven hours. The bottle cost $5,000. I didn't get drunken, but I collapsed afterward. <laughs> So this is the wine in my mouth. I reproduce the smell of wine in my system. And this is how it looked like at MoMA San Francisco. I made a hole in the wall. The technology I used is like you breathe on the surface of my abstract mouth, and I breathe back on you. And the piece is permanent, so there's hope in the world. This museum had the guts to get the piece for their collection compared to MoMA New York, you were afraid to let people smell. So we all know that if you are a human and you smell, it's not necessarily a compliment. But if you are a cheese and you smell, it's really a compliment. So I was paired with microbiologists, synthetic biologists at Harvard Medical School for a resident for half a year to look into what is life, real life and synthetic life. And as we know, bacteria are all over the place on the body. And the more we have, the more happy we are. Fortunately, not everybody believes in this. We live in a world where antibiotica is the most, most popular drug in food and in medication. By having taken in so much antibiotica through generations, we are suffering, the body is suffering, the stomach is suffering, our kids are getting allergic, etc. Finally, science is starting to see the necessity of having a discourse around bacteria and also a little bit less sanitized, deodorized, and pasteurized, for God's sake. So here we sequence cheese, we find amazing bacteria, and we started to compare these bacteria. And you might now have a fantasy enough to where I'm heading. Anyway, so here we are growing human bacteria in an incubator overnight and ask different celebrities to donate ours, us their favorite human bacteria for the purpose to make cheese out of it. In other words, to visualize the invisible again, which is my topic of concern. Adidas is another client who thinks that I am cool and smart and would like to experience something else with their products and with their sports people. So during the Olympics in London, I got access to David Beckham's dirty sneakers. 
apropos recirculation and rituals and routines. So here I analyzed the sneakers and found amazing bacteria that cause specific smells that I also find in this cheese. And uh, we served it at the VIP lounge at Adidas in London. Food for stars, for five stars, four stars, doesn't exist in Michelin. And these are clients that think innovation is important, that changing the way we see, and the way we digest, the way we perceive, and the which kind of rituals we have, maybe for the better for the world and for oneself. My last chapter is smell and memory. As we all know, smell memory is very efficient. 100% remain after one year of smell memory. 30% remain after three months of visual memory. So why not use this? Before rendering and computing and any kind of digital uh, way of rendering information existed, scientists remember hardcore information always in the context of a smell. And to recall what they remember, the same smell that they used in the context of when they learned about it. So in addition to copying reality smells, I look into individual smell molecules, meaning 3,000 individual abstract smell components that normally are used to make abstract slurries, purpose, perfume, detergent, you name it, I say it, abstract smells. So how can these components be used for other purposes? And what I'm doing here is, for example, we have gas, gas don't smell. In the 20s, three molecules was put on the top of gas to make it perceivable, meaning smell code was given. So this project here was done with Lund University. What could happen if we listen to news in the context of a smell? 398 abstract smell molecules had 398 codes. The software, the news, condense down, the software enabled the news to condense down to a code. The code activated the molecule and you listen to the news in the context of an abstract smell. And we were testing how much of the news do you remember in the context of a smell and how much not. And it was astonishing a lot. Another sample of memory and smell is the Serpentine Gallery London. The pavilion of Ai Weiwei, Herzog and Dumera, was all about the memory of the memory. So the whole pavilion had elements from the old previous pavilions and they commissioned me to make the memory of the memory of the memory. So I tracked down all the different smells I could find in this context and turned it into a smell of the memory of the memory of the memory. So the pavilion is gone, but the smell of it exists forever and is part of the collection of the Serpentine Gallery. So this is the last project I'm going to show, which is another coding system. I was commissioned by the German government to do a project for the first ever reopened new German military history museum in Dresden. They decided to reinterpret and rewrite the German army history, and not only intellectually, but also physically. So they hired Daniel Liebeskin to cut this classicistic building in two, which is normally completely forbidden. It's a monumental building. So they really want to show the world we want to change. And they commissioned me to make the smell of World War I. And in this case, you smell a hardcore smell, which immediately makes you vomit. So in the beginning, we didn't think about people would vomit so quick. So people couldn't make it to the toilet. 
and I had big problems. So now people can vomit immediately. And the problem with making this smell was that I couldn't get it bad enough, you know, because there are no ultima, there are no global smell for stench. There are no references how it was smelling at the battlefields in Vondo. So in other words, I composed a disgusting smell that I kind of imagined could be the situation. In other words, I gave the smell, the World War I, a code, a smell code. And the fun thing is, my daughter, she's 15, and her, all her friends, I work at home, I have a huge laboratorium. Whenever they smell, they smell again. Now, they say, oh, World War I. So the reference is already there. So what do I do with that type of project? I am developing different abstract smell molecules for learning. And the efficiency of that methodology of learning is amazing. It costs no money, a little bit of reprogramming your brain and your nose, and you have amazing tools in the most efficient way. This lecture was held at the New Urban Routines Conference in 2014. To watch other public talks and discussions, visit Strelka Institute's YouTube channel. To listen to them, subscribe to Strelka Institute podcast on any of the platforms. Stay tuned and see you soon!